Welcome back to Sermon Notes. Uh, this is Carlin. We got Michael and Josh here, and uh, we're going to be uh, continuing in our, our study of uh, the Gospel of John. We just have a few more weeks left, um, and this this 21 weeks will have concluded. It seems like we just started it, but uh, we're coming to the end here. And this week, we're going to be looking at John chapter 18, the, uh, the encounter that Jesus has with the Roman uh, governor Pilate, and uh, uh, neither one of us. You're not teaching? Yeah, I'm not teaching this I'm one. I'm not teaching this either. Why are we in here podcasting about yeah, it? Yeah, why don't you explain that? Well, um, our good friend and coworker colleague, Andy Petrie, is going to teach this Sunday. Uh, but Andy is not with us this week because Andy, who is the team leader for Fayetteville CR, is at the National CR meeting down in Dallas. It's called the Summit. And what a lot of people don't realize around fellowship is our Celebrate Recovery here is actually a national leader. And Andy, uh, I actually didn't even realize this until recently, and I'm good friends with the guy. Um, he is the global director for The Landing, which is CR's youth ministry. And so junior high and high school students all around the world um, who go to Celebrate Recovery, which is a ministry dedicated to helping people deal with life's hurts, habits, and hangups. Um, Andy is helping those students um, deal with the things that have come into their life through curriculum and through his leadership. And so Andy's actually given a talk, um, a main session talk down there. And so I've been praying for him this week. I know he's going to do a good job. And then when he gets back, we're going to put him right to work here um, teaching this passage in John. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited to hear what Andy has to say. But Garland, I thought what we might do um, since uh, we don't have Andy here to talk about his sermon is just talk about what we've observed in the passage and maybe some things we see here. So why don't you kick us off just uh, setting us up here. Um, we're at the end of John 18 and pressing into a little bit of John 19. Yeah, so this this uh, the way we've broken down this John series, we did the I Am, seven of those. Then we did the miracles, the signs, seven of those. And now we're, we've, we've you know selected seven encounters that um, that... Jesus has with various characters in this book. And this one is the one with Pilate. And so we're going to come back and talk about him in a minute. But essentially, uh, just to kind of summarize the uh, the passage, Jesus is brought before the Roman governor. And this person has the authority to execute him. He's been brought there by the Jewish leadership. And John goes out of his way uh, to, we might say, uh, lay the, the main blame at the feet of the Jewish leadership. Um, and they've brought him before Pilate. And this is the interaction that they have. And it's kind of a interesting account. We get a, It's the most extended account of this encounter that we get in the four gospels, this long, lengthy uh, discussion that Jesus and Pilate have. It's broken up with him presenting Jesus to the crowd and having him flogged, which was a Roman form of uh, very severe punishment that... Um, is part of the our passion scene of Jesus, and then uh, once more he speaks with Jesus. So it's two discussions we might say that are broken up by uh, Roman torture right in the middle of our scene of Jesus. And so um, this is we're we're here on the final day, the final hours of Jesus's life before the crucifixion scene. It's a it's a 
it's a dramatic scene. It's a tragic scene. It's a sad scene. And yet we have this really fascinating discussion that Pilate and Jesus have. And uh, yeah, to, to maybe help us as we look at this, though, we need to figure out who is Pilate. So who, who, does this, who is this guy, Michael? Yeah, it's really interesting. When we look at these encounters, we think back over some of the encounters that we've seen Jesus have. Nicodemus, we know very little about him. We might have one extra biblical reference to a guy that might have been him. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, we, we know nothing about her. We don't know what her life was like before or after. It's the only record we have. Here we have Pilate. So he's a historical figure uh, in the Roman government. He is uh, He's attested to not only in all four gospels, he's mentioned in all four gospels, uh, but Josephus, who was a famous Jewish historian, a contemporary, he wrote about him, Philo, Tacitus. We have Pilate mentioned in these other ancient documents, and so we know some things about him. And I, I did want to bring a little bit of that in. I appreciate you asking about him because uh, I think for us as Bible students, a lot of times we only consider him in terms of how he plays into the biblical narrative, but he's actually part of Roman secular history. And so he was um, a prefect, um, which is a leader of a 500 to 1,000 troops. And so there's somewhere between 500 and 1,000 troops stationed in Rome or stationed in um, Judea, um, Israel, and he's the leader of that. So he's the highest ranking Roman official in this Palestinian Roman territory. And he he had this job for right around 10 years. We know he arrived in Palestine in AD 26. And one of the things that's interesting, Garland, is he, uh, he was in a really precarious political position. And so he had come from um, sort of the, the, the lineage or the political line of this uh, Roman leader named Sejanus, who was the head of the Praetorian Guard. And historically, Historians tell us that right before the events in the Gospels, the crucifixion of Jesus, the trial of Jesus, um, Sejanus had actually been tried as a traitor and executed. And so, man, Pilate is on really thin ice now. He's already got a really difficult assignment to try to control this Jewish population that does not appreciate um, the thumb of the Roman emperor being on them. But now sort of his, his political leverage is gone. He has no protection back in Rome. And I think that helps us understand why he's treading so carefully here and why he's so cautious about angering um, the, the Jewish leadership. He's already had a couple of things blow up on him and end up back in Rome. He's already been rebuked for how he's handled some things. And so he's kind of in a no-win situation here um, as Jesus is brought before him for this trial. Yeah, we learned from other his, other ancient historians that uh, Pilate also he, he had his run-ins with the Jews before. He was violent. He was a, he was violent in his we might say his oppression of them, especially the Pharisee group. He had uh, had a group of them brutally murdered, um, and so yeah, he's he's in a difficult uh, uh, political situation. He. <laughs> He's not a sympathetic character. I don't no. think we want to. I don't no. think we want to express that uh, right. because, like, like we said, his uh, his violence towards the Jews um, it, it's been on display. Um, but here in this account, he certainly is presented by John as at least trying to get Jesus out of this. Right. We don't. Nothing indicates that that he seems to be like a, a believing anything about Jesus that we might say is significant, but. He doesn't really 
get the charges that are brought. He doesn't seem convinced, um, but politically he's in a, in a no-win situation. And rather than uh, allow this riot to continue to, to break out and maybe get more and more forceful, uh, he acquiesces. And then obviously that's what gets Jesus handed over to be crucified. One of the things I think we see in this passage um, that I'd love to talk about with you is there's a ton of kingship language here, and as is appropriate, um, we we always say around here, Jesus is Israel's true Messiah and the world's king, Um, but uh, Jesus really flips this whole kingdom idea that Pilate has. Um, In 1836, Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Um, And so Jesus is really redefining for Pilate and for us what a kingdom is and the nature of his kingdom. Yeah, and ironically, so so John is masterful, like, uh, and so are the other gospel writers, but John is masterful in how he presents this. You've got, uh, the, the account ends in 19 uh, verses 12 through 16 with them declaring, we have no other king but Caesar. That's our king. He's our king. And these are the Jews who had very little uh, uh, love for Caesar. So the, the Caesar's making a rival claim to Yahweh that he's the true king of the world. And yet here they are handing Jesus over and saying, Caesar's our real king. Caesar's our real king. And it puts the reader. So John is masterful in showing, not necessarily telling. He shows what you're talking about. Uh, here we have two kinds of kingship, we might say. Uh, There's the kingship of violence and power. There's the kingship of military might. There's the kingship of fear that puts people on crosses. Then there's the kind of king who is literally put on a cross in place of the guilty one. Another theme that, that John, we might say he, he shows, but doesn't tell here is the theme of substitution that's in this passage. And commentators actually note that, that John doesn't have to come out and say, hey, reader, I know you can't pick up these things. Let me just tell you, Jesus is the substitutionary sacrifice for your brokenness and sin. That would be powerful and cool, but what John does is he shows that by having the guilty Barabbas, and the text makes no, uh, and the other gospels uh, affirm this, he's guilty, he's an insurrectionist. He actually is doing the thing they're charging Jesus with. And he is set free while Jesus is nailed to, is is handed over to be crucified. He doesn't receive the flogging that Jesus then receives, and John masterfully shows the reader, look, Jesus, the innocent one, takes the place of the guilty one, and those substitutionary themes uh, that that we obviously hold so so near and dear as part of the gospel. Uh, John just really works them here in this passage, and so. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a fascinating way to present that to the reader. It definitely is, and wedged in there in nineteen is also this idea of authority. Pilate said to him in nineteen ten, uh, "You'll not speak to me. Do you not know I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you?" Verse eleven. Jesus answered him, "You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above." Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Before we talk about that last statement there about who has the greater sin, um, this idea of authority, you know, earlier this week, Garland, you and I were looking at Matthew 28 together. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Um, What's John commenting on here as far as the authority that Pilate believes he has versus the real authority that Jesus has? 
Yeah, the, the, the Jewish understanding of the identity of their God, Yahweh, was that he is the sole creator of the world. He is the sole king of the world. And therefore, he is the only one worthy of worship. Um, that's a slot reserved for Yahweh. And any rival conception of that, any other claim for those things is necessarily an erroneous claim. Um, and so it's really, really interesting that all this king language, authority language, John is is bringing the reader in to, to have to answer in some hard questions for their themselves. They live in the Roman Empire. Caesar's making a claim of authority. And if you are an early Jesus follower and you're facing persecution, you're facing ostracism from your community, it sure looks like Caesar's in charge. Um, you're going to have some issues, especially when you go, wait, our our guy was killed? I thought, I thought he was the king. Kings do the winning, not the dying. And to your point, the way that John is able to narratively flip that on its head, yes, Jesus did. Be, he was really um, accused and handed over by the Romans, but he is the one with the power. He is the one with the authority. So don't don't be fooled, oh dear ancient reader or modern reader, uh, that these claims of kingship, that these claims by the Caesar mean that they really have the final word. You are on the side of the one with the who is the creator and who is the sole king and who is the only one worthy of worship, uh, to, be, to be worshiped. Um, it, but it's easy to forget that uh, in our world then and now. And so it's just, it's just forcing the reader to, to, to come to terms with that um, a crucified king. Yeah. A crucified and risen king. Um, but yes, I, I agree with you completely. And then there's that final statement. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. You mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, it feels like John's going out of his way to make sure that the blame falls on the Jewish leaders. Um, why do you think Jesus made that comment to Pilate? And, and John recording it. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a sensitive issue in a lot of New Testament scholarship, especially obviously with the events that took place uh, in the last century um, with the Holocaust in uh, Europe. And I think that for many, these kinds of statements are unnerving, we might say, and all commentators, you know, address it in various ways. Um, how can we deal with such language? But uh, any reader of John and any reader of John's gospel, um, they're it's it's going to be very clear as John presents this, and he's he's got a narrative rhetorical reason why he wants to do this as well. Um, one of those would be as this gospel and this movement is going out into the broader Roman world, the broader Roman community. Uh, John doesn't want to put any added uh, any added blame or pressure on that broader Roman community, and so there's a bit of a uh, a clever, not apologetic reason, but social reason here. It the other gospels don't go as far out of their way. So is Pilate responsible? Yeah. I mean, we, we can say yes. Are the Jews responsible? Yes. Um, but John does seem to go out of his way to lay the, uh, the ultimate responsibility, we might say. And to, that coming here, as Jesus says this, coming here with a, uh, a unique historical reality that this generation of the Jewish leadership is making a grave mistake. And that's, that's 
we, we as Jesus followers who are used to these stories, we we kind of yeah the the Pharisees, they're the Jewish leadership, they're the ones who did this, um, and we we just we're taking the text as as it presents itself to us, and yes, that's how the story unfolded. That's how the history of this happened. Why was Jesus handed over? John says, well, because the Jewish leadership. They did not want him as king, and uh, you know that 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 can make us feel a little queasy in our modern world. But uh, we just kind of have to let it let it lie as we see the text. Yeah, yeah, uh, I think that's right, and I think it continues John's theme of those who should recognize Jesus, those who've been prepared to receive him as Messiah, fail to do so, while outsiders are drawn to him, and ultimately. Um, these Jewish leaders should have recognized Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy. They should have welcomed him as their king and Messiah. And like you said, it was a huge failure on their part. Um, so it's definitely not um, a cover for anti-Semitism. Um, and it shouldn't, our, our reading of this shouldn't be construed that way. But John is highlighting the fact that um, the people who should have recognized and welcomed their Messiah, failed to do so, and in fact, um, sent him on the path that ended up with his sacrifice. We saw that same thing with Nicodemus. You are a leader of the Jews, and you don't understand these things. Uh, yeah, John John is kind of weaving that in throughout. Well, I'm looking forward to see what Andy is going to share with us as he presents this um, from the platform on Sunday. And it's been a privilege um, just to talk through it with you a little bit, Garland. I hope this has been beneficial for those of you who are studying this along with us as we work our way through the book of John. And we'll catch you next time on Sermon Notes. Sermon Notes.